Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. In 1982, Glenn Lowry, then aged 33, became the first black tenured professor of economics in the history of Harvard University. Since then, he's migrated to Boston University and then Brown, where he's been ever since. And during it all, he's proved himself a provocative and unpredictable thinker, including on the Quillette website, where his recent article about the unrest in American cities, titled Condemn This Violence Without Equivocation, became quite the sensation. Professor Lowry is a busy person who, among other things, runs his own podcast on Blogging Heads TV, but he took some time to talk to me this week about his article and his general response to the spirit of protest and regrettable violence since the shocking police killing of Minneapolis resident George Floyd. America, unfortunately, has seen so many horrible episodes of police brutality. I'm wondering if you could explain, in no particular order, some of the factors that have made this episode such a unique flashpoint. <laughs> My, the honest answer is, is I do not know. I mean, I can, of course, speculate the cumulative effect of a lot of cases. The general atmosphere in the Trump, in the era of Trump, which is poisonous, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, which has unsettled everything and created fissures and had horrible impact on economic life. The general intellectual drift, reparations and this cult of white supremacy, one could say, one were to be unkind. The Black Lives Matter movement isn't merely or even mainly, I think, an expression of reaction to policing the program. It's a much more radical left of center vision. I think Trump has a lot to do with it. There's an election coming. I think there's all kinds of angst and, and anger and whatnot. We live in this media-saturated, spontaneous communication. I mean, it's a country of 330 million people. There are many hundreds of thousands of interactions between police and citizens. I mean, we live in an age where I know what happens between a guy going out to do bird watching and a woman that's walking her dog, and they have a dispute. That's actually international news. Do you mind if I ask you about that case? I just I saw an interview with the guy. He seemed very conflicted about what happened to her. Yeah, well, I did know that he was conflicted. I saw him quoted in the newspaper to the effect that he didn't know that she had to lose her job about all of this. But I mean, the fact is that he took out his camera and recorded his interaction with that woman, which is also a sign of our time. I mean, it, what happened out there between those two people... I mean, it happens in life. I mean, this is, a, this is a thing that happens. Now it gets constructed as, quote, unquote, a racist thing, and it becomes representative to the rest of us as that. But, you know, I mean, there, there are all kinds of reasons why people do things. So she invoked a trope or a stereotype. I'm sure there's a lot of that going on. It's not a capital offense. She picked a guy who was the furthest thing from that stereotype. He was a, as a bird watcher. One thing I remember from the the riots in, in Ferguson, Missouri, is at the time there was actually a lot of productive discussion about reforming police services. Because I remember one of the scandals there was, I think, the cops in Ferguson, they got like a couple of weeks training. It was almost like a mall cop situation. And amidst all the anger, there was also focus on policy. 
I actually don't see that much of that this time. It, it almost seems like religious, almost, like bearing America's racist soul. Yes. Uh, in fact, this has been a theme that's come up in my discussion with John McWhorter at my podcast at uh, bloggingheads.tv. His uh, original idea, this uh, metaphor of anti-racism as religion, and you can find the liturgy and the icons and the sermons and the saints and the infidels, etc., one of the quintessential aspects of it is making sure everybody else knows that you believe. I mean, you know, the signaling of virtue and such. Yes, you had that parallel track in the Ferguson, uh, the uh, investigation of Michael Brown and Darren Wilson, but also the larger federal Justice Department investigation of policing practices. There were two reports, as I recall. One of them did confirm the local authorities' exoneration of Darren Wilson in terms of bringing of charges and the evidence, but the other did make a point of talking about what was wrong. And there was a lot of talk about what was wrong, raising revenues off of people for fines or for petty violations and the ethnic composition of the local police department and things of this kind. One thing that you see a lot on social media, but I never seem to hear quote-unquote ordinary people talk about it, and by ordinary I mean people who aren't obsessively on Twitter like I am, talking about getting rid of the police entirely. Oh, that's crazy. And I, I don't know where it comes from, and it, it's uh, kind of hubristic. I mean, the, you know, the idea that you would propose to get rid of the police? I mean, think about that for a minute. The massive institutional transformation that it is, there's been no de- democratic deliberation. About no one's run for office on that platform. You can't just impose that on people because it's a moment of crisis and you think the general system is corrupt. You're going to impose on people, uh, denuding them of the protections of the police? That, that, that's, a, that's mind-boggling. The idea that people think that they can propose it and that it's taken seriously is another sign of our times. That's hysteria. It wouldn't take a PhD in political science to see that just because you defund the police doesn't mean that you solve the problem of order. It doesn't mean that there's still not going to be enforcement of property, that people are still not going to try to protect themselves. Believe me, there will be security services provided. The wealthy will purchase them, and others will take matters into their own hands. It's madness. This episode of the Quillette Podcast is brought to you by Magic Spoon Cereal, a high-protein, low-carb solution for people who love their cereal, but also want to eat healthy. Like many of the people listening to this, I went through my low-carb phase a few years back, but I gave it up because I couldn't resist familiar foods, breakfast cereal in particular. And that's where Magic Spoon comes in. Magic Spoon isn't literally magic, like Gandalf the Grey from Lord of the Rings, but it is magic in the idiomatic sense. How else to describe a delicious and satisfying breakfast cereal that contains zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving? Like you, I was skeptical, which is why I insisted on trying Magic Spoon before recording this ad. I also served it to my wife and daughters, who enjoyed it as much as I did, and are pestering me to get more, in fact. After tasting the whole product line, I can attest that the fruity, frosted, and blueberry flavors are delicious. Magic Spoon also comes in cocoa flavor. I'm also supposed to emphasize that, as well as being low-carb, Magic Spoon is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and GMO-free. And that's all true, no doubt, but the magic thing about this product, the reason it makes the magic happen in your cereal bowl, as it were, is that it achieves all this without tasting like something you might find in a health food store medicine cabinet. If you want to experience some of the same magic, Go to magicspoon.com slash Quillette to grab a variety pack. And be sure to use our promo code Quillette 
with two L's and two T's at checkout to get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by what they call a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash Quillette and use the code Quillette for free shipping. Thanks to Magic Spoon for their sponsorship. And now back to our podcast. There's been a number of videos where you'll see people in a community like Minneapolis who are protesting. And then there will be people who they look like they've come from outside the community. Often they look younger, they're dressed like ninjas, and they're smashing windows or whatnot. And the people from within the community will find ways to tell these people, knock it off, you're making things worse for us. Do you think that the moment we're experiencing now in some way is changing the relationship between black activists and activists who inhabit the internet and kind of roam around from California to Portland, Antifa or whatever? Oh, yeah, who are uh, anti-WTO and anti-fascist and you know, anti-racist and whatnot. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I'm not an expert on this by any means. Now, if you're asking me, do I see that there's a possible union or conjoining? No, I would say it's opportunism. I would say the anti-fascist and the anarchic and the anti-system dimension is that there's no organic connection between that and black people saying, get your knee off of my neck. I'd say that uh, Cornell West might disagree with that. You know, I, I think it's an opportunistic insertion of an agenda that is basically orthogonal to, uh, I mean, there are people who have an interest in disorder. For them, you would want no policing. But black people, rank and file black people are not those people. We published an article that concluded the 1968 election. One of the reasons that Nixon won was leveraging populist anger over violent riots. And the argument was that some of the protests and the demonstrations in the earlier part of the 60s were productive and helped civil rights. But as the protests got more violent, it empowered reactionary elements. Do you see that pattern happening in the United States with Trump? Yeah, I do. Um, I actually wrote this in a piece I did for Quillette where I said it's important to repudiate the violence and the rioting and the arson, the looting, uh, not the protesting, but the looting and the arson. I, I pointed out that people who were doing that were solving Trump's re-election problem for him. I think it's very clear in American history and I did the period that you're talking about. Remember George Wallace, he was in the Democratic Party primaries in 1968, as I recall, also and it carried on. It carried on into the 1972 campaign as well. Remember Spiro Agnew, you know, nattering nabobs of negativism and all of that kind of stuff. And the silent majority. This is the era that spawned Archie Bunker, this this character who personified this. I watched Tucker Carlson the other night. I confess to that. I wanted to see what was being said on the right. And he just went on with a montage for practically an hour one after another after another video of young black kids jumping through broken windows and running out with their arms full of stuff, of flash mobs assaulting people. A couple comes down from their upstairs apartment to protect the storefront, and they end up being beaten in the streets by mobs with two-by-fours. Now, you know, polite media won't speak of this because the idea of speaking of it is as if you're sensationalizing and they'll say you're cherry-picking and it's not representative. But there are people tens of millions of them in the United States who are sitting in front of their televisions with their mouths agape. They can't believe what they're seeing. Those images are, are going to be indelible. Biden is, to me, put it in a practically impossible position. The Democrats are going to have to have the mothers, you know, the martyred mothers of the movement. They're going to have to celebrate Black Lives Matter at their convention when 
a whole lot of the country is sitting there thinking, this is barbarism. I'm sorry. I know you're not supposed to say that. I'm not saying it myself. I'm just saying that people are saying it. Polite company on the coast do not understand America. This is my opinion. I don't expect it to be universally embraced. They don't understand the country. This is a conservative country. They take the Second Amendment seriously. There's a huge faction of people who are pro-life. You can, you can imagine, as I do, I live in Providence, Rhode Island. I live in this corridor between Boston and Washington, D.C. And just those people don't exist. I can go through my life not even knowing them and just deploring them whenever it is that the mention of them happens to come up. But as a matter of fact, that's what the country is. I don't know exactly how it'll play out electorally. I'm not sure it'll save Trump's bacon. But this is not going to go away. So in terms of people living in a bubble, one minor drama that's played out was at the New York Times. The Times op-ed page ran a piece by a very conservative Republican, uh, Tom Cotton, yeah. who endorsed using the military I to suppress, suppress unrest in cities. Now, what was interesting is I saw the outrage on Twitter. I, I'm from Canada. We, you know, we don't deploy the military often, so I, I saw it as controversial. But then I saw a poll that said a majority of Republicans agreed with Tom Cotton, no surprise, but that there were actually a lot of Democrats who agreed with this also. So even if I don't agree with it, a lot of people don't agree with it. Maybe most New York Times readers don't agree with it. It wasn't as outrageous an opinion as some people were saying, and yet the New York Times was forced to retract this, and it, it created like a whole civil war there. Well, their staff was in rebellion. They were, uh, and the people were crying and falling out on the floor. They're talking about, I'm unsafe. I'm personally unsafe because of some new published in your newspaper. How dare you? They, they think Trump is a fascist. They think they're, you know, we're in, in 1938 or 1933. It's worrying to me that the New York Times is not able to publish something that apparently, like I said, I mean, something like a third of Democrats are on board with, with troops in cities. Can the New York Times be saved? You know, I can't cancel my subscription as much as I'm sometimes tempted to do. I read the paper every day, you know. Anyways, uh, but I, I agree with your assessment. It, it, I mean, there are many, many instances that you could give of that. Uh, the 1619 Project, for example. <laughs> That's its own little mini-scandal uh, in academic circles. But may I ask, are you speaking to me from Rhode Island? Uh, yeah, I'm in my home outside of, sitting on my back porch in Providence, Rhode Island. May I ask, uh, have there been protests in Providence? Yeah, there have been protests and there's also been rioting and looting. Uh, I hear helicopters flying over my home in the evening. I think it's prophylactic, but they're up there. So there's something called Providence Mall, which is a mile and a half from where I live, down the hill and across the river. They were vandalizing and looting in there. The, the police were out there and whatnot. So it's not like New York or Chicago or L.A., but I saw a friend for dinner at a restaurant that has opened up here last night, and uh, he, he lives right downtown. He said from his open window he could see a fire blazing. You know, they're the things that you're supposed to say about not posing protests but being alarmed about the disorder. And then there's some things that do get said about, you know, well, what are you putting property over human life when you talk about, you know, looters? You know, after all, there's a dead kid who got the life choked out of him. I, I can tell you in my house, uh, my wife is a liberal Democrat. I'm not. But I can tell you that when we both think we hear something that sounds like gunfire, we look at each other and we shake our heads because if we can hear it, it means it's not that far. Well, please be safe from both COVID-19 and any unrest. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with the podcast. Bye-bye. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to quillette.com where you will find more content.